You are now listening to The Shyest Podcast, when millions of opinions just aren't enough. My guest today is a former international pro basketball player. He currently teaches English in Colombia, and he's been a friend of mine for over 20 years, Mr. Clayton Paltrow. Well, thank you for joining me. Uh, We're not recording. Well, we're recording, but we're not live, so I'll have a chance to edit out whenever it needs to be edited out. Um, But thanks for doing the show. I was trying to get you on for a while, but... During the holidays, looks like you got some time. So, well, uh, thanks for the invite. It's a pleasure to be here. It's um, let's talk. Let's talk some football. And we've got to talk football. I see you wearing your Patriots beanie. I got my Bills beanie on. Uh, we got them back after that uh, that weird wind game in Week Thirteen. Yeah, what's the name? Um, he didn't look great. Uh, He's looked pretty good all season, but Mac Jones looked pretty bad in that game. Yeah, it's like the Patriots do a a good job of like disguising his weaknesses. Uh, Who is Josh McDaniels, offensive coordinator? He does a really nice job with their play design and like even watching them play some other teams. I'm like, yeah, they really keep the defense like on their heels constantly. So Mac Jones very rarely ever has to be in a position where he's going to be like, I'm telling you I'm passing. And now I just have to like beat the defense with them knowing exactly what's coming. That's not his strong suit. And uh, you saw it against like Dallas. They played a good game against Dallas, but like once they got behind late in that game, that Dallas defense is so fast and so athletic. And I think Diggs came away with a pick late in that game. Uh, And Parsons was getting a lot of pressure on him. So yeah, you have to you have to get after Mac Jones and make him make those decisions, speed up the clock on him. And he hasn't like, you know, like you said, he hasn't looked terrible this season at all. Amongst all the rookie passers, he's definitely like leading in every major category. But he's also playing on a team that has the best system in place. Like if you were to take like Trevor Lawrence or Zach Wilson or Trey Lance or Justin Fields and like take any one of those guys and put them into the Patriots, they would probably be having similar success. Um, But it would be interesting to see with all those guys having slightly better like athletic measurables. Well, uh, not slightly. Some of them are significantly better athletes than Mac Jones, but it'd be curious to see a guy like Justin Fields play for Belichick and like, could he learn the system? Could they utilize his speed and his arm strength, uh, you know, to their advantage? Whereas Mac Jones is kind of like, he's going to go out there, he's going to call the plays. In the Bill, in the second Bills game, like even though they lost, there was a moment where like it was getting really chippy between the teams, and uh, like the teams were barking at each other, and Jones kind of like ran over and like grabbed his linemen and like kind of put his arms around them and like walked them back to the huddle. So mm-hmm. that showed me it's like okay, he's got leadership skills, which fits with what like New England is trying to do, and. I don't know what his ceiling is because, you know, when they when they beat us the first time, it was like, oh, Mac Jones threw like three passes and 
they beat us in that windy game. And then in this game, it's like, you know, Mac Jones didn't look so good. So the Bills fans were barking back the Patriots fans about him looking like shit. And so there's been kind of a discussion going on about like whether or not this kid is actually good. And I tend to lean towards the fact that he actually is good. Like to come in and play the way he's playing at the NFL level this quickly says a lot about him. Like, will he end up being the best quarterback of the draft class with all those other guys? I don't know, but he's clearly playing the best this season. Him him as a player, I think uh, it's a little unfair. Um, he's, he's had a good year to be a rookie and to be put in that situation, and he doesn't control anything around him. So, like, he has to come and conform every day, day in and day out. This is what we need from you, kid. And that's that's hard to do because lately he's having to be in situations where, yes, like we know you're going to throw. Now let's see what you got. And New England hasn't exposed him to any of that. So this is like, you know, the first time for him doing that in a high pressure situation as a rookie. And we all know he doesn't have the strongest arm in the in the world. But the way that system is set up, like you don't have to really have a, you know, a, a cannon arm. So I think. Uh, it's hard because he's like got to be, you know, the soldier, you know, the perfect little soldier all the time. And it's like, he can't really say much, but then he's going to take the criticism if it, if it goes bad. Well, the last week against Buffalo, the, the defense really came up short too. They couldn't get off the field. Like it's like all the third downs were being converted. And there was the, the ultimate fourth down where Josh Allen's running to the left and you got your all-pro cornerback ready to make the tackle. I don't know what this guy was doing. J.C. Jackson, I got love for him. on this play. You ran up on him, and he didn't even give you a move. He just kind of <laughs> cut right, and you completely missed him and hit your own guy. <laughs> I was get the first down and game over. I was like, wow. That was a little unbelievable. But credit to Josh Allen, man, going after it like that. Yeah, it's like I think they had – they knew that New England was going to come out and like take away the quarterback sneak on that play. So they're like, what we want to do is like get Allen in space running towards the sideline to at least give him a chance. And like, he's so much bigger than Jackson that I think, you know, Jackson saw him coming and just kind of like put his head down. So he didn't get run over and he just, he didn't see him. And so when he gave him that little move, it was like, Oh, he's already gone. <laughs> I think a little bit too, having to do with that. Cause JC Jackson's come of, come of age this year. So yeah, now he's, you know, does he want to throw his shoulder in there against a six-five quarterback running full speed on fourth down? It could go bad for him, considering the you know the resistance there. So, the way I look at it, because I played some corner in, in high school and pop Warner league, the way I look at it is fourth down. You're going to sell out to stop the first down. If you don't sell out to stop the first down, you had other things on your mind. And he's too good a player to to not be ready to make that tackle. So. In my opinion, I think maybe he 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 chose better judgment as opposed to trying to tackle a six-five quarterback running at him full speed. Yeah, and he had talked a lot before this game too, because last time these teams met in New England, uh, Diggs lit him up, put like three touchdowns, like 150 yards on him. So he was talking a lot this time around that like he's a lockdown corner, that he wants to be on an island out there with the best player. And I mean, Diggs still got him again. He gave him 85 and a touchdown. So it's like he they didn't target him as much because all those throws went to Isaiah. Um, 
but yeah, like so maybe it was like he was already getting beat mentally by Diggs in that game. And then, you know, maybe his head was somewhere else, but regardless, you know, they were playing a lot of like four man coverage fronts. They were like, I don't I don't know why too, especially with like the success you've seen like Tennessee have, Jacksonville, uh like all Pittsburgh, all the teams that really gave the Bills problems were like bringing pressure all the time. Uh, so it's, it was interesting to see them like sit back and try to play coverage against Allen because the Bills offensive line has struggled so much all season to see this game where it's like he didn't get sacked at all. He really was almost rarely ever getting pressured in that game. And it's like, yeah, when you give that guy with that kind of arm talent time to throw, I mean, some of the throws he made in this game were just incredible, like stepping backwards, like just dropping it in there on a line to, I think it was uh, Sanders on that one throw. He hit McKenzie on a big third and 10, like up the sideline on that uh, last drive of the game. Even the throw that he had to Diggs for that touchdown, they double digs at the line. He drops back, looks right. The underneath linebacker gives up on covering digs because he's like, Allen's gone away from it. And then he just seams it in there on a frozen rope, hits him right in the hands. And he th- ended up going like the three fifteen and three touchdowns, but they stayed within their ceiling of passes where they seemed to get in trouble. He ended up throwing 47 times scrambled twice. So it's 49 pass plays that they called in there, which I'm like, every time they've gone over 50, they've lost, but they also ran the ball 28 times in that game. And 10 of those were designed quarterback runs, which they didn't do the first time against new England in the bad weather, all those failed red zone attempts. It was like, you gave Josh Allen like one QB run in that entire situation. So I think what we saw the first game was that the bills came out in the bad weather. They shut new England down three and out, get the ball, uh, Dawson Knox drops the third down conversion that would have gotten him into like closer field goal range would have kept the drive alive. They three and out him again. They get the ball again in New England territory. Uh, Breda fumbles the handoff. So the Bills should have been playing from ahead in that game. And it changes the way that uh, they can get played back against by New England. Because all of New England's touchdown drives were like half the quarter. It was like 15 plays, seven minutes. So it's like, realistically, they're going to get four possessions in the game playing that way. And if they don't score on one of them, that's it. Because the Bills are going to pace them into the ground with the volume that they score at. So in a game where the Bills are going to score 30, New England, I think, punted once or twice. But that was enough to be like, yeah, you don't have enough possessions in the game, dinking and dunking your way down the field eight minutes at a time to get back in it. In the other game, they hit that long uh, Damian Harris touchdown run to get up, and then they were up the whole game uh, to start, and the Bills were playing from behind, forced to throw, and not being able to really run significantly. So it was interesting, but it looks like they're going to clash in the playoffs. I think also, too, I think um, Bill Belichick underestimated uh, McKenzie stepping in in the, the slot receiver role because – you could tell that he probably figured, okay, I can't play man anymore because this guy's killing me. Um, but then if I play zone, I'm going to give Josh Allen all this time. So I think that's probably why he maybe played more zone down the stretch because the slot receiver was just killing them like crazy. And I don't think Belichick has confidence in his corners like that and man-to-man coverage with a guy with an arm like that because you don't need much separation. You don't want... You don't want those guys singled up with Diggs and, you know, and McKenzie and, and those, you know, those playmaking receivers with Josh Allen being able to throw the ball like that. So I think they, down the stretch, I think they were scared of that. So they played more zone 
and Josh Allen made the throws. He did, I know. The, the wind wasn't too bad, and you really got to see, like, his arm talent on display in that game and his mind. Like, he was able to see everything coming yeah. pretty got, pretty far away. Like you said, you got to speed him up. Like, if you let him think, like, his arm is just – that throw that he threw, even though it was off target, just the sheer velocity of that throw when he threw to McKenzie in the back of the end zone. Like, it was a good catch. Yeah. But Josh Allen's the only quarterback in football that can make that throw. Like – that throw was like it was on a laser it was a little but there was the the window was so small so the, the fact that his arm is that strong man that's an amazing throw yeah that that failed fourth down conversion was on a drop to sanders who's usually very sure-handed similarly in the back of the end zone kind of like hit him against the shoulder not quite uh in the hands right away and he wasn't able to hang on to it but, you know, they went for it on fourth and one from like the one yard line. So they were able to force the punt, get the ball back. And then it was the Diggs touchdown after that. But yeah, they were up 17 7. And that like two scores was tough. They still needed to hit that drive when they were up 26 uh, 21. And he came up with some big plays on that drive as well. So that was his like, I got snubbed from the Pro Bowl moment. Like, <laughs> um, I think uh, New England showed what not to do. Like, yeah, if they're gonna beat you. Like, make them beat you. You know, man to man. You know, blitzing them. Because if you just sit back in that zone, I think they're they're too good. They're just they're too talented. Yeah, and like Brian Dable, who you know I've been critical of over the last couple of years, just like the way he decides to close out games. He called a great game in this game. Uh, and I think not having Davis, not having Beasley, it just like limited what they could do. And they just kind of got back to basics. So it's like McKenzie's our fastest guy. We're going to run him in motion. And then if the corner who's trailing him, it like can't line up with him, that guy's dead as soon as the ball is snapped because he's got a head start. Uh, so he can run to anywhere on the field and Josh can put it there if they're not pressuring him. And then it's just on like, okay, well, do we want to like work to jc jackson's side and try and get digs open here or run the ball uh singletary had a good game too like he's not he's not putting up like monstrous yards but he had that one catch that like the one two yards past the line of scrimmage that he ran over duggard and then hightower came over ran him over too and got the first down like the fact that singletary's playing that physical like it just said that like the bills wanted that game more than the patriots did and they played like it yeah, you, you could tell like how much how much effort Buffalo was was given. Like they were embarrassed by that previous performance. Yeah, I mean, they knew they had to get it back, and they knew they left some opportunities on the table in that game. I mean, they were in the red zone like three times and couldn't convert. Like they uh, missed the field goal on one of them. They turned it over on downs on another one of them. So it was an important game to get it back and of all of the teams that were in like these division lead swing games, the bills were like the only one that showed up and took it seriously. Like the chargers against the chiefs a couple of weeks ago on Thursday night, like, you know, they were down 10, nothing and they come back and they have them 13, 10, 13, uh, 14, 13 at some point, I think, or 17, 13 at the half. They were ahead of the chiefs despite having like basically fallen flat on their face to start the game they had worked their way back to take the lead and the chiefs hadn't offense hadn't done anything and then the chargers just like kept going for it on fourth down when they really didn't need to and they let the chiefs hang around long enough to get back in that game and 
it's like with Kelsey and with Hill and Mahomes, like you're going to give these guys enough chances. They're playing almost like basketball where like the possessions didn't matter that much to them. And when that game happened, I was like, the Chargers may like, you know, screw around and miss the playoffs because of this particular performance. And then they come out here this week and they get steamrolled by the Texans. Well, they, you know? they're also, too, in my opinion, they're playing like a, it's the length of a college football game where the, they're not valuing the possessions. You can't, you can't afford to have empties in the NFL because the game goes too fast. Yeah, and it's like I'm not necessarily like when they get down there on the first drive of the game, it's like they have fourth and goal at like the inside the five yard line, right? And at that point, uh, Williams had dropped a touchdown. Herbert had thrown one away, and then he hit Williams on that slant near the goal line, and Williams got hurt because he got hit by three guys. They're leading him into that, you know, chaos. But I get it there. It's like you got the ball first. You almost return the kick for a touchdown. You want to get out ahead of these guys. And worst case scenario, they have to drive the length of the field. Like, I don't mind it there. But, like, they went for it on fourth down five times in that game where they times where they could have stretched the lead against a team that, like, wasn't scoring on them. It was just I felt it was wasted in the second half. So it's like maybe three of them I would have agreed with. But the other two, like, I didn't think were the right call. The coach comes out he's like we're just you know this is how we play we're gonna play it's like well there's a reason you're a first year coach and you come out here the next year or the next week and you get uh embarrassed at home by the texans and now they're eight and seven and they might not make the playoffs yeah that's bad that was like a, it was almost like a, a chain reaction where i mean if you lose to kansas city but doing the right things you can build on that but if you take the chances and gamble all day long like now your locker room is going to be asking questions like hey man like what are we doing <laughs> well when they went into kansas city and beat them earlier in the year kansas city turned the ball over four times like playing stupid like that was the that was the game where mahomes like threw that no look pass and it like bounced off his player's face and got picked off uh and they fumbled twice in that game too so I was like, if Kansas City cleans up the the turnovers, they should be okay. They still turn the ball over a bunch, but including the interception, the fumble, and the fourth down conversions, the, the Chargers turned it over five times in that game. And five turnovers is way too much to uh, to try and beat Kansas City with, especially when Kansas City was streaking. But for me, it was more like the Chiefs have owned this division now for the last like three or four years. Right. Basically, ever since Mahomes took over, they've been the top dog, especially in that division. So here you are. You beat them once already. You're beating them at home with a chance to basically just take the division and win the division. And they kind of just like, I don't know, like the philosophy just like threw it away a little bit. Like it's not that important to us to win this game. And so it comes back, it bites them in the ass. Now, after that game's over, they're not leading the division. Now they're eight and seven, and they're like grouped in with all these other bubble teams. Like Miami just got a win. So Miami's scary at eight and seven. Uh, and then, similar to the Chargers, you have the Ravens, who were in these games where they lost like three games in a row by a total of four points. Two of them were one point losses where they went for that two point conversion at the end of the game and lost. And again, the one last week before they got their asses kicked by the Bengals this week, the one last week was like they're down 14 against Green Bay in the fourth quarter. Huntley like f f battles his way back. Like what the Ravens have been doing all season really is like battling back in the fourth quarter, showing that they don't quit. They fight their way all the way back to 
it's like and they're at home too so it's like i wouldn't necessarily have a problem like with them going for it if they're they're either like in green bay and they don't want to play in overtime if like the weather conditions are bad or if they had been having trouble stopping green bay in that fourth quarter which wasn't the case like they had stopped them several times in a row gotten the ball back went and scored it's like take the extra point there go to overtime at home and i think again what i don't like about that is not necessarily that they tried to win because it's like hey good for you guys try to win the game but cincinnati had uh won earlier and they should have known that if we lose this game here we lose the division so or they lose the division lead and then they go into cincinnati the week after that and they absolutely get their clocks clean joe burrow throws for 525 yards and five touchdowns and joe mixon kills me with a late 52 yard catch that they don't need at all so it's like helps bury me in fantasy i'm just like what is he doing why is joe mixon even on the field here i see him haul in a 52 yard catch i don't know how he got down the field so fast like he was down the field like in a heartbeat yeah, so the Ravens defense, I mean, like they had nothing left. Lamar has been out and I picked up Huntley that week, too, because I was like, oh, I think Lamar's not going to play. So let me pick up Huntley because my opponent has Jackson. So if I can get Huntley, I can prevent them from having the backup there. And then Huntley gets COVID, too. Taysom Hill gets COVID and I'm stuck with Russell Wilson in that Chicago game. Man, that game. Talk to me about that. Come on, yeah. That, that was brutal. And they were up, I think, 10, like, in the late third quarter, early fourth quarter. Like, they were cruising, and then all of a sudden, it was just, like, they lost interest in the game. I think they just, they thought they had it. And it was, like, Nick Foles does what Nick Foles does and, like, leads comebacks. And he found Jimmy Graham for that touchdown. And That play, uh, looks like who comes down with uh, well, yeah, there's two guys like on the Jimmy Graham play and then the two point conversion to bird that wins the game. It's like, he catches the ball. They have him in the air. Like just walk out of, ba- just walk out of bounds with him. Like, yeah. just, what are you guys doing? Like, just pick him up and carry him out of bounds and don't let him put his feet down. <laughs> right. Right. I was like, why did they let him land? Like, cause he was totally off his feet and there was multiple guys that had their arms on him. So yeah, if they didn't want him to land, he wasn't going to land. Yeah, just carry him out of there like it's his bar mitzvah or something. Just <laughs> so I, yeah. I don't like the two-point conversion. Like a lot of the two-point conversion calls, like they treat it too much like, you know, it's like a do or die play. Like, I mean, my philosophy with the two-point conversion, man, I'm I'm coming at you with power. Like I'm gonna come at you with power or I'm coming run past option. That's it. Like I, I'm not going to try to like fool you and be cute, like there's not enough space to be messing around down there. And you miss the window that one second, that's why Baltimore lost. Because the guy wasn't knowing that he needs to read that second guy coming across the middle. So I don't really blame Huntley for that. I blame the coach for not knowing that Huntley's going to be not going to be reading it that way. So I would have had a total different play call. I would have probably called it an RPO. If I'm going to go for it with his talent and their running team, I'm running an RPO play right there out of the gun. See if they're going to fill the box. If they don't fill the box, okay, throw it. Yeah, because, like, of all the guys that they're going to throw to on a two-point conversion, like, it's going to be Mark Andrews. And they knew it. And the guy starts sprinting over. Yeah. As soon as the ball snaps, full speed, like the <laughs> T-1000 over there trying to make a play. But then what you don't see is that, like, he's so focused on Andrews, Hollywood Brown is wide open behind him. 
but the play is is so quick because it's so it's, it's so condensed in the back there he's got to get the ball out of his hand he doesn't see it happen so that's a play where it's like you're asking a guy who's not your starting quarterback to convert this when it's like you should just give him credit for doing what he had done at that point tie the game and so yeah. like i got i got into this argument where it's like okay say they kick the field goal right or kick the extra point it's tied there's 30 seconds one timeout, and you're still facing Aaron Rodgers on the other side. So if you get the two, at least if uh, Green Bay gets the ball, like the odds are in your favor that you're probably going to win there. But my question is the increase in your success rate, like because if the game's tied, Aaron Rodgers has the ball either down one or sorry, if they whether or not they convert, Aaron Rodgers has the ball down one with a timeout or tied with a timeout. So if the game is tied and there's like 30 seconds in a timeout, they may take one shot down the field and see if they can get something. But other than that, like, you know, Green Bay's a veteran team. They're going to take a knee and they're going to play for overtime. So that's why I thought it was a bad decision because it's like, you know, Green Bay is going to play for overtime because that's who Green Bay is, right? Just well, I mean, even if they tried, though, it's like you could lose the game in that process, trying to get that chunk to get to field goal range. So, yeah, I would that would have kick the extra point and then put my defense on the field with 30, 40 seconds. If Rogers does that, I, I got to live with that. I just got to live with it. Yeah. I just thought they fought like way too hard to get back in that game to just not like give their defense that got them there a chance one more time to get to overtime. Cause it's like, Hey, at overtime, like you get to the coin toss, it's 50, 50. If you get the ball, you're moving it. Well, if you play defense, you shut them down the last like five, 10 minutes of the game. So they're completely out of rhythm on offense. Um, so it's just an interesting, like philosophical discussion because like this thing of going for it on fourth down has become like more and more and more popular because of analytics where it's like, what is the increase of my odds of winning by just attempting the conversion there, like just attempting the two point conversion. Cause if I fail, I'm 100% going to lose. If I get it, I'm not a hundred percent going to win. So I'm curious to see like how the math breaks down on that to be like, well, say it increases my odds of winning uh, 20%. Is that worth a 100% chance of losing? Like, I don't think it is, but. Those situations, like, I don't, <laughs> I don't believe in the analytics. Like I believe in the human, uh, the human element. I feel like the coach or the coaches, the quarterback, like they have a feeling about how this game is going. So like in that situation, if I don't have a play that's specific for that particular moment, I'm kicking the extra point. <laughs> like it, the, your chances of being successful in that moment are so difficult because it's not even your starting quarterback. Like he's done the amazing just to get you here and you're going to ask him to do something more. It's like, come on, man. And then that's your play call. That was a college call. Yeah. I mean, they had already used that one against Pittsburgh, the uh, the other fourth down conversion call that didn't go so well uh, when Andrews dropped it. So it's like you can't burn that play again. So you got to give them some other look. So, you know, they're going to Andrews, though. Yeah, you put and... him over to the right, like <laughs> by himself. Like it's like everybody thinks it's going there. Like you probably be better to put him at the tight end position because it's like maybe now you can sneak him somewhere. But you put him outside, it's so obvious you're gonna try to go to him. Yeah, they just didn't dress it up very well. So, I mean, now the Ravens are right there with the Chargers. Like, uh, let me see, I have this, I'll bring up the standings just because I might as well have something to reference. 
but yeah they're both like they're they're both like in the bubble conversation i don't think either of them are technically out but you have bills Bengals, titans chiefs all leading the division then the next two best records are the patriots and the colts so you have the Ravens, the, uh, the Ravens, the Dolphins, the Chargers, and the Raiders all at eight and seven, and then Denver, Cleveland at seven and eight, with Pittsburgh at seven, seven and one. So like the Ravens went from being eight and two, eight and three, and being the best team in the AFC to being eight and seven and not necessarily in the conversation for the playoffs anymore. And to see it like go like that, and I saw Lamar uh, like warming up today, like at the Ravens practice, he he's not gonna play. Ankles that bad? Yeah, he like he could barely walk. Like he can stand and throw, but like for him to play the way he plays, like when does Lamar ever just stand still and throw? Like he he looked terrible. So it's probably gonna be Huntley or Josh Johnson. And honestly, like Josh Johnson played decent in the Bengals game. It's just like the Ravens defense got absolutely torched. So. You know, unless he was going to be capable of getting them to 50, they were going to lose. Uh, but he played okay. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm really enjoying watching uh, watching Burrow play, man. Wow, that guy. Like, he's so fearless in that pocket, even after the, the knee surgery. It's like, man, that guy, he loves what he does because <laughs> it's hard to have faith in Cincinnati offensive line, man. He back there, and he's looking at receivers. He's not paying attention to the rush. So I yeah. For sure, especially like you said, dealing coming off that uh that knee injury where he wasn't even it was rumored that he was gonna miss all of this season recovering as well because he tore everything in the knee, so it was like PCL, MCL, ACL all had to be repaired, uh, and so they were talking about like he's so young, maybe they just don't even play him this season, but he battled back, he got himself in there, and there was a time where Cincinnati was five and two, they were at the top of the AFC, and then they lost the bunch in a row. And it was like, oh, maybe, you know, they're not going to get there. So let's see. Yeah, they're one, two, three, and one, four, three, and two, five, and two. Then back-to-back losses to the Jets and the Browns where they gave up uh, like a combined 80 points. And then to rally off wins against the Raiders and the Steelers after that, lose to the Chargers, lose to the Niners, and then back-to-back wins to like get them on top of that division. You know, they're young, but... And, and it shows like they still have some of those growing pains where it's like they probably shouldn't be losing that game to the Jets. They lost a winnable game against the Packers. They lost a winnable game against the Bears on the road. Uh, they shouldn't be getting punked by the Chargers like that. Niners were playing well at the time they met, so it makes sense. And like they struggled on the road uh, in Denver, but they found a way to get the win. So they're doing what they're supposed to be doing as a young team that's improving and they got to nine and six and they're looking like they're probably going to be a playoff team but you know if they lose out and the Ravens win out then they'll flip and the Ravens will still probably take the division at that point uh so I mean it's it's nice to see like something change a little bit because Cleveland I think Cleveland Baltimore Pittsburgh were all 10 wins or better last season and now it's looking like maybe one of these teams will get to 10 wins in a season with extra games. So that division has stayed very good and very competitive. And the, the only real bad division is the South, where it's like Tennessee and Indy just kind of dominate these other two teams that have combined six wins. It's, um, it's hard to 
to put a lot of emphasis because it's like such a log jam of teams. It seems like everybody's eight and seven, and like it's yeah. just everybody. So to think about all of the options or the possibilities of what the playoff picture could possibly be, it's like it's like a migraine. So definitely in the, in the AFC, especially like it's so congested. Like so, let's see. The top team is eleven and four, then ten and five, then two teams at nine and six. So there's what three teams that are just within two games of each other right there. Well, four that are all the division leaders. And then all those teams that are eight and seven, seven and seven, seven and eight are all within a game of each other too. And that's like another seven teams, but it's crazy to think that only Houston, uh, Jacksonville and the jets are really like theoretically bad. You know, just the last week you only had, those are the only three teams with losing records in the AFC. So a lot of this, a lot of the young talent has come a long way. Like, and it's crazy, you know, like with Baker Mayfield in the, uh, so, so, uh, we'll talk about that Christmas day game for a second. Uh, so the Packers Browns game Packers were up in the fourth quarter. Like they were against the Ravens kind of maybe coasting a little bit because going into this game, I picked Cleveland to cover thinking that, you know, if green Bay plays their game and like gets ahead, you know, they're, they don't need this game. They already clinched the North. They're already, like, well in the driver's seat uh, for the number one seed in the NFC. And Cleveland needs it a lot. So at the end of the game, you saw that happen where Green Bay was, like, up two scores and Cleveland gets the ball and they're down 22-24. And uh, Baker Mayfield throws a pick again. Game over. And, like... At this point, he's been in the league as long as Josh Allen, as long as Lamar Jackson, and he's the guy that's still in his fourth year now making those critical interceptions. He did it in the Kansas City game where they were beating the Chiefs earlier in the season. He threw that pick late in the game, lost in the game again. And I know that like he's playing through a lot of injuries and stuff, but like I'm sorry to the Browns fans, you know, Baker Mayfield is not the guy to get you to where you want to go. He's been a good transitional quarterback, but Baker Mayfield is going to be a career backup after his contract expires with the Browns. Um, the last game, he yeah, he did play pretty bad, but also too, I gotta give uh, you know the bad bad part of the credit Stefanski. Um, Stefanski, I don't know what you're doing on the play calling, bro. You guys were averaging nine yards a carry. Yeah, why, why are you throwing? <laughs> Why are you throwing at all? I don't understand. So, Baker, yeah, I mean, he's fighting through injuries. Um, he definitely could have played better, but he shouldn't even be in that situation. I mean, he shouldn't. Um, I mean, we'll we'll see with him, but Cleveland, he, I would I wouldn't pay the money. That that money is too high for what you have over there in talent. It's too high to pay your quarterback position that is limited so i mean if you're gonna pay your quarterback position like that much money then your quarterback position he better be very versatile um baker's very limited in what he can do um he's good at what he does but it's you know like i said it's limited so cleveland has to make up their mind do they want to win or <laughs> do they want do they want to have like a i don't know like a a guy that you know is a poster child for commercials and being famous in cleveland i don't know um but they definitely have a squad, and I think Cleveland could could make noise if they run the football. 
Yeah, like I don't know what's coming out of free agency. The college draft class doesn't look particularly good, but you there's no way you could pay Baker Mayfield like forty million dollars a year at this point. No, there's uh, there's no there's no way. It's it's he's too inconsistent. Like you don't know what you're gonna get, and you could get something for much less that pretty much does what he does. Like if you you know you don't want to you know Case Keenum to be your guy, like it's almost very very likely that Garoppolo is going to be on the market you could get him for a third of what you can pay Baker so and you know Stefanski's a you know good offensive mind just you know control what they do and not put Jimmy in crazy situations and I, I think he can do what Baker did if not better yeah Garoppolo's actually like had a good season overall he just had his Jimmy G moment here this last week and it like was this. like, oh my God, like this is not the time to be having it. And somebody like we're, we, uh, we were listening to, we watched the beginning of the game. Then we listened to it in the car. Then I was following it on my phone. And then we watched the end of the game. And like, he, he has that drive to tie the game for them. And then they, the defense like doesn't step up and stop it. Uh, and they lose on that field goal. But it's like, he threw that pick when they were driving up seven, nothing where they could have made it 14 zip. And then uh, he throws the pick to start the second half, like in their own red zone. And all of a sudden it's like now Tennessee has all the momentum and they never look back after that. He looks so good. Like at times, like you're just like, wow, that guy is, you know, he's something else. And then other times he just looks so like, like unsure, unsure and kind of antsy back there. And then like the decision making, I'm like, man, like, are you, are you paying attention to what's happening in the secondary? Like that guy's double covered. Don't throw it there. Some some lady called into the radio show that because we, we were listening to AM radio on the way uh, out to dinner, and then on the way back they were still like fielding phone calls about this game. And this lady calls in who's like a psychic or something, and she's talking about like the planets' orbits and like Jupiter being in retrograde. And when that happens, Jimmy's a Scorpio or something, and that means that like he's feeling like nervous energy. <laughs> uh and i was like yeah that makes sense but like i don't know if that's the <laughs> i don't know if that's the the reason but it was just funny to hear people calling in like man we pay jimmy like 20 million dollars a year we got trey lance who like gets two million dollars a year like just let the two million dollar guy make a, a mistake because that way we save the other money and put it elsewhere uh so yeah if the niners don't make the playoffs jimmy's gone uh if they make the playoffs and they have a little run then maybe he sticks around because uh, it's like overall he's had a solid year for them but you know he's only what this is only his second like healthy season he had the one where he filled in for Tom the first one with the Niners where they got to the Super Bowl and then it's just kind of been like on again off again uh, for him so at the price point that he's asking it's going to be a lot you know it looks like Matt Ryan maybe would be on the market for Cleveland as well but He's 37 and, you know, oh, like some, sometimes watching Atlanta play, I'm like, I feel bad for him because it's like he just doesn't move well. And like these defensive guys now are really fast. So maybe they're just making him look exceptionally slow. But it, yeah, it looks like he's stuck in the mud half the time and he's getting hit so much. And then like, you know what? I still got to give him a lot of credit, though, because this Atlanta team this year should suck. But they're uh they're right in the thick of it they're seven and eight they could make the playoffs arthur smith the new coach has done a great job and i know nobody will agree with me that he should be coach of the year but 
when you look at the fact that they lost Julio Jones, uh, the Todd Gurley experiment failed, Calvin Ridley like just bounced on the team to preserve his own mental health about a month into the season. When you look at what the expectations for this Falcons team were versus what their record is, they far exceeded expectations. I don't think anybody would have considered Atlanta to be challenging for a playoff spot at the beginning of the season. So Arthur Smith deserves a lot of credit over there for what he's done. Uh, like, he's not gonna he's not gonna win Coach of the Year, but I like the rookie Pitts over there. Uh, he's yeah. pretty. But I would say the the player of the of the year for them for Atlanta Gordon is Patterson. Yeah, man, that guy. Wow, he's like offense to himself. Yeah, it's like every other team he's played for has not really uh, ever featured him. Like he was a kick returner for New England, uh, kick returner and like occasional receiver for Minnesota. Uh, I think he played for the Bears last season as well as one of their like three or four or five running backs that they had going on over there. Um, so it's like, yeah, Atlanta finally saw like, okay, this guy is built like Derrick Henry, but is a receiver. So we've seen him play running back. We've seen him return kicks. We know how fast he is. And there was that game, I want to say New Orleans, where he caught like that swing route up the sideline that ended up beating New Orleans. They uh, they scared Tampa Bay the first time they played him. Uh, so, yeah, he's actually had a fantastic season. Uh, I don't know that he's going to stay. I don't know what kind of contract he has in Atlanta, but they need to start, like, grooming whoever is going to eventually replace Ryan, get another receiver in there, uh, work on the defense a little bit. Because when Dan Quinn left, he took, uh, I want to say, Keanu Neal. Yeah, he he took, took, like, yeah, Neal and I forget the other guy's name. It's a... Uh... Casey, Kazee, something like that. Oh, yeah, Casey. Um, yeah, so, like, Dan Quinn left. He took his defensive philosophy and their best defensive player, their middle linebacker, over to Dallas. Uh, and look at what Dallas defense is doing now, so it's not really that surprising. Um, but, yeah, Atlanta, if they make the playoffs, I'll be happy for them because you had the Panthers who were, like, good there for a while, too, and now they're, you know, five and ten they've lost like six in a row or something they were three and oh to start the season but it's like yeah you beat a bunch of crappy teams everyone's saying how good your defense is and it's like i don't know i never thought their defense was that good it was better than average but to be like a top 10 defense in the nfl it's like okay you're in the top like 30 percent. like that's not great if you're in the top five like we can talk as you're an elite group but you know same thing with Denver. Like they they beat uh, like Jacksonville, the Jets, and the Texans or something to start the season. Everyone was like super high on Denver's uh, bandwagon. It's like, look, Denver is also better than probably people expected they were going to be. Um, they moved on from Locke. They finally got a quarterback. They get to seven and eight. They're actually legitimately going to challenge probably for a playoff spot here. They're not bad. And like to me, like if you're a 500 team in the NFL, that's really hard to do. So. Those teams I would still consider are mostly good teams. Like, that's why I think there's a lot of teams that are in that range of like, we don't suck, but we're not like an elite level team either. So that's why there's so many between like the eight and seven and seven and eight mark. Uh, the Eagles are one of those teams where it's like half the time I can't stand watching them play. And then the other half of the time I'm like, oh, Jalen Hurts is pretty amazing. I enjoy watching them. Like everything is so off script. So it's like, you get like a different feel it's like a um a different type of football yeah i guess the reason i don't like watching them is because i invested heavily in goddard and sanders as my fantasy tight end running back combo 
because Sanders has had like good seasons coming into this year. And then he hasn't scored a touchdown this year. He's been hurt several times. Uh, and they've just been running back by committee. And so there's this game that comes out, like watching the beginning of this game of them versus the, uh, the Giants this last week. I'm like, how did the Giants just have their number like this? Like they were the first quarter of the game. It was like, they're just completely shutting Philadelphia down. I'm like, how is this possible after what Philly just did last week? After these guys in, they lost the last game, but Sanders, I think put up over a hundred yards against the Giants in the previous game. And I'm just like watching them play. And I'm like, wow, they're just going three and out. Like Hertz isn't playing well. Nothing's going right. And then by the end of the game, it's 34, 10. Like they finally figured it out and they started getting a click in, but like in the process, Goddard didn't do anything. Sanders didn't do anything. Got hurt, broke his hand. He's done. And uh, yeah, he's done for the season. Um, They're the number one uh, rushing team in football. Yeah. Well, because of Jalen hurts and the fact that they have like eight running backs, it's like, all right, Sanders, Gainwell, Boston Scott, Jordan Howard, like, and the worst, the worst thing was like watching Miles Sanders be heavily involved in the offense until they get to like the goal line. And then it's like, get in here, Jordan Howard, you and Jalen hurts are going to vulture all these touchdowns. So it was annoying, but I ended up getting pretty close. Ultimately I lost by like 15. Uh, And there's just a little undersized. So they're they're not going to give it line so he's got to break like 30 yarders and 25 yarders yeah but they just they started going like running back by committee and i don't blame them because they're not like super deep at receiver either like Devontae smith has had a pretty good rookie year but the way they run mash mouth you so you want to have a lot of yeah it's nfc east football you know all those teams kind of play like that uh so I'm curious to see like what the Giants are going to look like next season because you know the rumor mill is always churning on the Russell Wilson trade rumors and they so were, some... they retained Joe, Joe Judge to bring him back. Yeah, like I I wouldn't put this season like completely on him. When you look at the Giants, like if you were to go through them week by week and just be like what percentage of their players are injured every week, I think they probably would lead the league in guys that miss time this week between like Slayton, Tony, Holiday, Saquon, uh, Daniel Jones is out right now. So it's like all your skill players are out all the time. There's no way to ever get consistent. But then they had games where it's like, uh, they beat the Raiders, uh, they beat another, they beat the Eagles. Uh, so it's like they had games where it's like when they play well, you can see glimpses of like what they want to be. And they have ta- they have talent in place. So it'll just be, yeah, it'll be curious to see if they want to stay with uh, Daniel Jones here or if they're going to be in the trade market trying to get their hands on uh, Russell Wilson. Um. Yeah, I think that's um, something they probably need to address. Not to say that Daniel Jones is terrible. Like you, you need to fix that situation there. You don't want you don't want to keep riding this maybe out. Like you, you need something for sure in that situation so you can see where your team really is. Yeah, and like I don't know, I've watched Russ a lot. You know, I've watched his whole career. I've had a close eye on him this season. He was my fantasy quarterback. So that was another like, you know, thorn in my side all season with the finger injury. And then he just rushed back. Like he came back because he's like, I'm Russell Wilson. Like the team is better with me. But realistically, he played horrible for like the first two games he came back because he was like two to three weeks ahead of schedule for that uh, injury to heal. And it looked like it. And then he hasn't just... I don't know his decision making has been poor it's like kind of like what Carson Wentz was stuck doing in Philly last year where it's like he felt that 
he had to play hero ball in order to make that team successful and he was just taking bad sacks making bad throws inaccurate he still hits the deep ball like he still has that um but what we saw happen to arizona the last couple of weeks where it's like the smaller court you you see why the prototypical nfl qb is like that six three six four guy because as good as russell wilson is it's still tough to see over an offensive line that's guys that are like you know half a foot taller than you or more so you have to take deeper drops and then when you pay all this money to that quarterback position that line isn't going to be as consistent and the edge rushers in the nfl are getting faster and faster so the deeper you have to drop the more you're giving the advantage to those edge rushers then you just end up having to step back up into the pocket and if your interior line isn't good you've got nowhere to go and so russell wilson and kyler murray have been experiencing that a lot this season it seems like you know the cardinals just got figured out uh and they, i don't know i mean they're gonna make the playoffs but of all the playoff teams they probably look the weakest right now yeah they need uh what's name to come back and uh and save them just to just to pick up first downs man like you need d hop man because kyler can't see like he can't see in that middle of the field consistently i mean he, he can find lanes to throw it but on third and four and like they're blitzing like you have to be certain where you're throwing the ball. And if he's questioning it even a little bit, and I think that's part of Russell's issue too, like if you're not certain, you're not going to let it go. And I think Russ being out that time, not seeing the speed of the NFL, he can't just break pocket and outrun those D linemen like he used to. So I think that's a part of it, the reason some of his bad decisions, because he's like, okay, I know I'm not going to be able to get out of this, so I'm going to just throw it. (laughs) I don't want to take the punishment. <laughs> yeah, and it's like there's certain moments to to throw it and like throw into a bad spot, and there's other moments to like throw it away without like you know intentionally grounding it to throw it away. And it seems like he was like maybe just trying to force it a little too much, trying to get the Seahawks to like stay in it. Um, but it's like had they let Geno Smith play a couple games, like they may have. Well, I think he played three. They they hit the bye week, so I think he started two. But they would have been better off. Like, I don't think Seattle gets shut out by Green Bay if Geno Smith is playing. And Green Bay only scored, I think, 17. So Seattle's probably at least in that game. Game after that, they lose two. I forgot who it was to they were playing. But they could have been in that one. But that was uh, Russ's second game back. And that was, who was it? Uh, The Cardinals, who they hold the Cardinals to 23, but they only score 13. Uh, and then finally against Washington, like they started to get it to click, but I don't know, you know, now I'm seeing reports that Bobby Wagner doesn't know if he's going to stick with, uh, Seattle after this. So if you lose B wags, that defense is, you know, done, like you're starting from scratch on defense. They already lost Bruce Irvin. They already lost, uh, KJ Wright. Uh, so it's like, you know, they paid all that capital to get Jamal Adams who had a much better, like last three quarters of the year than he had the first quarter of the year because like he was getting roasted in coverage many times over and over and over again and it was like oh wow this is what they did and so you see where seattle finishes and where their draft pick lands that's the jets pick this year so they don't get that number one pick this season because that's adams so if they lose bobby wagner it's like okay you got nobody anchoring the middle of your defense their defensive line has gotten better the other supporting cast at linebackers gotten better but 
I, I think especially if Russell Wilson leaves, like, okay, that's a wrap for Bobby. Like, what is he going to do there? He's been in the league for 10 years. Might as well go play for a team like the Bills. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, he definitely go to a contender. I know many teams would like to have that guy. Yeah, because like ultimately, like Bobby still leads the league in tackles this year. Because people like there's this conversation on Twitter of like who is the best linebacker, and I'm like, well, if you're talking about current linebackers, Bobby's still number one in tackles and number two in solo tackles. And it's like he's not T.J. Watt or Micah Parsons, but like I look at those guys like those are defensive ends that just happen to play in a three-four system, so they're linebackers. But realistically, like those guys are DNs, and like Parsons is a very good athletic rookie he's play actually very well in coverage as well but if you're talking about like generational linebacker talent it's like bobby's up there with the all-time greats so to be able to get him to a contender would be good for him and you know he may be willing to not take the biggest contract in order to make that happen depending on how much seattle's going to implode in the next week or two don't don't go to green bay <laughs> yeah right no, yeah please don't don't go to green bay nobody wants to see you in green bay bobby they're probably <laughs> let's stabilize that defense for sure yeah he's everywhere and it's like the funny thing is like in the bills fan community that i'm part of on social media like there's been this thing of like whether or not the bills are going to pay tremaine edmonds as like a top tier linebacker right are we going to is the organization going to give him top dollar and from what i've seen this season i would say it's a mistake from them like he's good but there's just too many mistakes that he's still making the upside is that he's like 24 25 still so he's still super young he's coming to the end of his rookie deal and if you let him go though he's gonna he's gonna command a pretty decent paycheck somewhere else but i think they could like switch him and milano and get him to be more of one of those like edge uh, rushing linebackers and just like let him run downhill. Cause the thing that I've noticed is that like, he's just kind of hesitant in the middle. Like he sees where the play is developing, but he's not like moving towards the play. So the blocker that's coming to get him just comes and finds him and blocks him. And he's not in on the play. He's like, he's there in a lot of the gang tackles and stuff, but he's like as the middle linebacker, like if you're the Bobby Wagner of the team, like you need to be the first one to the ball. Like you can't, you can't be the last guy there. Instinctual in the middle, like that guy is, has to have a nose for the ball. <laughs> yeah, so I think like you need to put him in a role where you, he can kind of like be freed up. And plus, like he's the youngest guy on the defense outside of like any rookies coming in. Like you're gonna make him like the signal caller for the defense. So that's a position where it's like you have to be very knowledgeable as well. So he may just better be better served if the Bills are able to find another middle linebacker and then they move him and they play with like him and milano and this other guy or make milano the middle linebacker try that a little bit because aj klein has been very good uh in his moments this season where he's had to play for either milano or edmonds so bringing him in from uh new orleans was a good veteran piece to pick up but yeah i think i think the bills will have to address that at least a little bit in the off season um so we'll see how that goes let me uh, let me ask you this, because um, I think this is probably the team that's being spoken about more than anybody in the league right now. Do you do you feel like the Dallas Cowboys are for real? I think the Cowboys are finally where they were supposed to be 
probably like a couple when they started this, like when Dak took over for Romo, the bar was set very high at that point and they just never gotten there. So they finally like have the defense in place. The offense has so much weaponry on it that like, you know, Dak is not putting up $40 million quarterback numbers. But then again, it's like, yeah, you, you got two really good running backs. You got like four good receivers uh, and they're winning games. So at the end of the day, like Dallas is where they want to be. They're still probably going to have to play a road game in Green Bay to get to the Super Bowl if everything goes according to plan for them. And that's still a really tough road game because as good as their defense has been in terms of big plays, they give up a lot of big plays too. Cause because Diggs gambles. And if it's if I'm if I'm gambling on if it's gonna be Adams versus Diggs, Diggs might get a pick in that game, but I think Adams still feasts overall. He's too good. Devontae Adams is way too good to gamble on over and over again. Aaron Rodgers is too good to like take big chances because if you miss the result is a touchdown like this is not some other team where it's like oh, okay i can maybe take a shot here and this is going to be an inaccurate throw anyway maybe it's not a catch it's like you got like quarterback you got a, like a top two or three quarterback in the league and the top two or three receiver in the league you've got uh aaron jones who led all running backs and touchdowns last year so it's like in all the skill positions i think the packers are too good to try and play that game with and i don't know if the rest of the Dallas defense uh, is ready for that challenge yet. But Parsons does change things. Um, the way he plays and the pressure that he can get and his athleticism can be the kind of deciding factor that gets Aaron Rodgers off his game early. And if they're not in rhythm and Dallas is, then that's a bad recipe for Green Bay. Yeah, um, I think... Um... Diggs is probably going to see some some double moves come playoff time <laughs> because, like you said, that guy is gambling a lot and nobody's really giving him the double move. But with Michael Parsons coming at you, there's not going to be a lot of time for you to, to make that double move. But, you know, when it's Rodgers and and and, uh, and Devontae, it's, it's like those guys are on a different level. Like they can just kind of change the play by looking at each other. So... I think the Cowboys, um, they have potential, but the playoffs is a different story. And I kind of feel like coaching is going to be a factor and their teams are going to have something for that. Like, I think you're going to see a lot of screens. You're going to see double moves because Dallas is ultra aggressive, ultra aggressive defensively, and it's worked for them. So they're not going to change. And in the playoffs, you know, you make one mistake, it changes the whole complexion of the game. Yeah, and just, like, I'm looking at, like, the matchups that they would potentially have in the playoffs, and, like, there's a good storyline with, like, Mike McCarthy going back to Green Bay and getting to maybe, you know, coach that game uh, in Green Bay. Uh, but, like, the Bucks, despite them, you know, not always looking great, like, they're still right where they want to be. That defense, like, still dominated Carolina last week, uh, you know, you got Vita Vea healthy in that whole defensive front, those linebackers. Their biggest issue is going to be the secondary. Like, if they can't get pressure, is their secondary going to be able to hold up? But I think Davis is back. Uh, I think Bunting Bunting. Is, Bunting's back from the elbow injury. So it's like they're a little bit better off than they were midseason. Um, so Tampa still 
is Tampa, you know, but I mean, while we're talking about this, we might as well move on to the, the topic that's been keeping me engaged in arguments on social media for the longest time over the last like week, which is the Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady argument that is never going to end for some reason. And it's like, for me, Aaron Rodgers can count all the stats that he wants. He can pile up all of the regular season accolades that he wants. At the end of the day, he can do that. Tom will keep collecting rings and then like history will speak for itself. And somehow we still are at a position where everyone's like Aaron Rodgers is the better quarterback of the two. And Aaron Rodgers has a great arm. He moves well, like he's smart. He understands defenses. Uh, he can throw a variety of different passes. Uh, like he's got all of the, uh, the measurable skills that you would want in a quarterback. But the sticking point for me has always been the leadership issue. And I don't think Aaron Rodgers is necessarily a bad leader. I just think Tom's a better one. And so I'm just going to read these numbers in a vacuum. So we're just going to say quarterback number one in this scenario, their average 16 game season, 65% completion rate. 4,283 yards, 35 touchdowns, seven picks, 38 sacks for 256 sack yards. That's average season between 2008 and 2013. Quarterback two in this equation, 64.7 completion percentage, 4,503 yards, 33 touchdowns, nine picks, 27 sacks, 167 sack yards. So statistically the difference between quarterback one and quarterback two is pretty negligible like you know quarterback two's got uh slightly more yardage a little bit less uh completion percentage but also attempts more passes uh quarterback one has a couple of more touchdowns two more touchdowns and two less interceptions per season but also gets sacked more per season with uh about a hundred more yards lost in sack yardage right so you're trading a little bit of the the interceptions for sack yardage here so a sack obviously is not a turnover but it is a drive killer and it is a quarterback stat for a reason and i think the second thing in that same window quarterback one has 27 game winning drives and 18 fourth quarter comebacks quarterback two has 30 game winning drives and 24 fourth quarter comebacks and the overall records for these quarterbacks which has been argued with me over and over again that win loss ratio is not a quarterback stat but we'll get to that in a second the regular season numbers for quarterback number one are 138 wins 65 losses and one draw which comes out to about like nine point five wins and four something losses a season and less than a less than a tie per season the other quarterback has 155 wins 49 losses no ties in that same 13 year span and that breaks down to about 11 wins and about three and a half losses a season so to me i see more game winning drives and fourth quarter comebacks on one side and I see more wins on one side. So to me, I'm going to take that quarterback to lead me. Everybody else, 
falls in love with the the touchdown and the interception numbers and it's like yeah those are good numbers but they're only tiny bit better than the other guy who's got a better record and wins more often at the end of the game so it's tough for me to just buy into like oh this guy's statistically successful therefore he's the better quarterback um tom brady was quoted today um saying that he he would hope to uh have the lombardi trophy and in a boat party like they did last year when they celebrated uh-huh. <laughs> and throw the trophy overhanded this time. Now, <laughs> this was a very interesting statement that you know he made, because um, obviously he never made any statements like this when he was in New England. So this is the, the Tampa Tom that's uh, given us a little, a little bit more of himself. And this quote to me is very interesting because it's, it's almost a, it's a humble brag, but it's um, sending a message to certain people um Tom Brady is not like a he's not really like a, a showman type of player but he will definitely drop a seed um mentally against his opponents and you know we have a lot of people that say you know Aaron Rodgers is more talented he has more physical skill and his stats are better which is probably all true but football is a, a game of plays so with each play comes, you know, responsibility comes, you know, level of drama and, and having to control nerves, making the right reads. Now, you can make a mistake in the first quarter and it may not affect the game at all. But if you make that same mistake in the fourth quarter, it can change the total complexion of a game. So when we ask ourselves who's really better, it's kind of like comparing um ah well we see kind of what's happening with the lakers at the moment uh, with uh, westbrook you know he's a great player but he turns the ball over a lot now if you turn the ball over a lot you can't win so if you were to compare westbrook and chris paul chris paul is a steady you know point guard that values the possession of the ball now he nowhere near has this level of skill that westbrook has but who are you going to take when the game is on the line who would you want running your team so I agree with you as far as, you know, Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers being in that situation. I'm taking Tom Brady every time because I know what the result is going to be. It doesn't matter to me how skilled Aaron Rodgers is because I know with the level of skill that he has, what the result is going to be from the level of skill that he has. So now you got to stick with the guy with the seven rings because he makes, he makes it happen when the money's on the line. Yeah. And so speaking of which, so from 2008 to 2013, I'll just, you know, we'll get into it. Quarterback one is Aaron Rodgers. So QB one here has an 11 and nine playoff record. His completion percentage in the playoffs goes down. His interception percentage in the playoffs goes up. His sack percentage in the playoffs goes up. And in those 13 years in the playoffs with those 20 games, he's got two game winning drives and one fourth quarter comeback. Tom Brady, over that same period of time, 20 and 8 in the playoffs. Completion percentage jumps significantly to 68.6%. He's thrown a thousand more than a thousand passes over that same time. He's got mm, close to 3,000 more passing yards uh, because he plays in more games, obviously. 
Uh, and his interception percentage also goes up because he's throwing the ball so much. So his interception percentage is like 2.4, but like he's throwing a thousand passes, 2% of those are picked off. And a lot of those, like you said, are early in games or where they're well ahead and he's looking for like a knockout punch, like against the New Orleans in the playoffs last year, right? He took some chances that he didn't necessarily have to take because they were in control of that game and he was just looking to like basically end the game with a touchdown. And he let New Orleans creep back in it, and then eventually the defense got it, and he got the drive that mattered when it mattered. Um, and in those same 13 years, he's got eight game-winning drives to Rodgers' two and six fourth-quarter comebacks to Rodgers' one. So if Aaron Rodgers is really the better quarterback, how in those 11 wins only three of those he has a game-winning drive or fourth-quarter comeback yet the argument is constantly made that tom brady is surrounded by the better team right so it's like oh he has more wins because the team is better and it's like are you telling me that aaron Rodgers has not been surrounded by some of the very best talent in the nfl on a regular basis like get out of here green bay always wants to win titles and they've always been in the conversation and it's like tom brady didn't inherit great players except for twice like really he got moss in uh New England and they went undefeated and then he got Evans and Godwin coming to Tampa and like they brought over Brown and he brings Gronk in and yada yada but other than that like that original dynasty where they won three out of four like that was Troy Brown David Patton like that team was not built on star power at all he made Wes Welker the guy he was made Julian Edelman the guy he was even like Gronk for the most part like would he have had the kind of career he's had without Tom Brady I don't think so and so to see that of the 20 wins in the playoffs, uh, eight of those have had game-winning drives. Like a huge percentage of the Patriots or uh, Tom Brady's wins in the playoffs have come in games where he's bringing them back in the fourth quarter, including that Super Bowl where they're down 24 points and late in the third quarter against the Falcons. Like, so to me, I don't need to, I don't need more proof, but I want to get into the the win-loss conversation. So the thing the sticking point was that like win wins and losses are not a quarterback stat and to me not even to me but like just in pro football stats win lot quarterback record is recorded for quarterbacks so it's called quarterback record which is team's record in games started by this quarterback so that's a quarterback stat but beyond that i say that the quarterback is the quarterback play is the biggest indicator of team success and we saw it this week with baker mayfield we saw it with jimmy garoppolo we saw it with mac jones like you see it all around the league like where your quarterback goes is typically where your team is going so that tells me that that's a, that's a good reason for me to believe that uh quarterback uh sorry win loss record is a quarterback stat secondly the quarterback is the guy who touches the ball most and the job of the quarterback ultimately is to put your team in a position to win the football game so i think a lot of people don't view the quarterback job as that where you and i have been watching football for a long long time and as a bills fan who struggled with the quarterback position for two decades while tom brady just like reigned supreme in the afc east it's very easy for me to see that the real job of the quarterback is 
to get the team to a win. It doesn't matter if it's ugly. It doesn't matter if you throw for 300 yards. It doesn't matter if you have eight picks. If you get your team to a win, you got your job done as the quarterback. And that's something that I think that Tom Brady understands and values that a lot of other players do not. Because at the end of the day, the NFL is about one thing, and that's winning. There's, there's not enough games to go around to like sit on your laurels and count your statistical success. This is a very, very finite league where the average career is less than five years. So in five years, like if that's the average career, you're not going to have time to accumulate the kind of statistical success that you would maybe set out for yourself personally anyway. So what you have to show for it is your team's success on the field and being a part of that. And the reason that the quarterback is attributed to wins and losses where other players aren't is because this is a guy that touches the ball all the time. He's the he's the head of the spear, so to speak. And so speak, speaking to another layer of that, there's a reason that the, like, let's just follow the money, right? The quarterback is the highest played, highest paid position in the league on the field. The average quarterback contract at the, the high end right now is like, what, $45 million? So... So that tells you that the team, the organizations of the NFL value the quarterback position more than any other position on the field because it is the most important when it comes to winning and losing. Secondly, I would say that not only is it the highest paid position on the field, it's the highest paid position in the organization. The, quarter, the quarterback gets paid more than the coach by a wide margin. So if it was really about the coach getting the wins and losses and not the guys on the field, the coach would be getting paid the most, but you have most coaches probably make like five to 10 million. I think John Gruden's like $10 million a year deal was like a huge deal because it was so expensive, but Derek Carr makes more than that because Derek Carr is more important to whether or not the Raiders win football games. And similarly, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Russell Wilson, all these guys making this money, so the market value tells you that the most important and valuable position in a football organization from ownership to the 53rd man on the roster is the quarterback position. The only guy that gets paid more is the owner, and that's because he collects revenue on everything. But other than that, it's the quarterback. So if you look at just hierarchy of money, owner, quarterback, that to me tells me that the court, if the quarterback is the most important position when it comes to like if your team is going to win or lose, then wins and losses are a quarterback stat. And Tom Brady deserves, ugh, even though I don't like to cheer for Tom Brady, I end up having to defend him because he's the best. He's the best. It's it's an inarguable point to me. But you know, he's he's not going to necessarily have the statistical numbers that Aaron Rodgers has because they play a different style of football. Like all of Green Bay's success is predicated on whether or not Aaron Rodgers like performs well. Like when they don't go out and win ugly very often, right? Like you don't see a game where Aaron Rodgers has like two touchdowns and two picks and throws for like 210 and the Packers win. Like that really doesn't happen. It's like he, that's why his interception numbers have to be so low because the style of offense that they run is very heavily predicated on whether or not Rodgers is playing like that super elite level football. Whereas guys like Josh Allen, Tom Brady, like Allen can go out there and throw a couple picks and be like, yeah, I fucked up, but I'm going to go out there and like get it back. Like what we saw last year against Tampa in both games is that, you know, 
Green Bay and Aaron Rodgers got hit in the mouth really early in those games, and they just never responded. And Tampa Bay walked through them both times. They went. Green Bay had the uh, Green Bay had the number one seed at home last year, best record in football. They uh, had a top ten offense, a top ten defense at home in the playoffs against the Bucks, and Tom Brady went in there and beat them and like completely eviscerated them in the first half and. The argument coming from the other side is that like oh well tom brady had the better team and it's like green bay had a top 10 offense and a top 10 defense playing at home like that's not an excuse like if you're a top 10 football team on both sides of the ball and you lose at home to tom brady and you're still not going to recognize that this guy is better than you like you're just never going to understand why he's better than you and i think that's really the ultimate sticking point is that like people don't understand the what leadership does and like i was having this argument with uh, some people about uh, what happened to the Bucks, And I was like, this was a team that like never made the playoffs. That was six and nine or whatever the year before Brady got there. And then Brady gets there and the entire culture changes. I was like, yeah, sure. They brought in Gronk and Antonio Brown and they brought in a couple extra pieces to like make that team like fit the way that it was supposed to for what Tom Brady wanted. But it's because it's what Tom Brady needed. He set the guideline for them of like, if you want to win a Super Bowl and you want to play at the elite level, this is what needs to happen. And so to me, that's the kind of intangible leadership thing that Tom Brady brings to the win-loss conversation that people just don't understand. It's um, that position, like you said, is so important. So I think um, personality plays a part because sure does. You are, you're the leader of that particular locker room. And... You know, not to take anything away from Aaron Rodgers. Um, you know, he's a generational talent. But in comparing him with Tom Brady, there's a difference in the leadership. And there's um, it's been a lot of, uh, of speak of um, Rodgers being a front runner, which I could honestly say that I, I could kind of agree with that because when things are going really good, um, Aaron Rodgers is probably the best quarterback in football. Yeah. It's all in and everything's hitting on all cylinders. Um, you know, Devontae's running the routes, you know, the line's blocking, you know, they're they're a tough team. But when they hit adversity, when they hit walls and his teammates are looking at him like, Hey, come on, lead us, man. Come on, show us show us what you got. <laughs> I've seen a lot of times in some of those situations where Rogers is like, Hey, well, it's not my fault. And that mm-hmm. added to that that's hard for a team to be successful um and to have all 53 guys buying in if your leader has an attitude like that that's a very casual attitude to have so as soon as something don't go doesn't go right for you now you're placing blame that just is going to go through your team and it's going to be kind of like a virus where everybody's catching it so this is some of the criticism green bay has received in the postseason is that when they get hit in the mouth, they don't respond because there's nobody to vibe off of. <laughs> so everybody's looking at Rodgers, okay, you know, we need to vibe off you. And Rodgers is like, hey, I'm doing my job. I don't know what you guys are doing. If that's his response, eh, good luck. That's probably why he only has one Super Bowl because when you're in the postseason, it's a whole different ball game. I mean, you need to know that your brother is going to be there. It's like... It's like literally being in a war, your shoulders and arms. And if you're a leader, your general's like, 
Like you're losing at the moment. Your general's like, yeah, well, it's not my fault. Then maybe we should go home. <laughs> if that's his attitude, <laughs> you're not gonna win many Super Bowls. And but if you got that glare, if you got that Tom Brady glare, it's like I don't know. Like that guy, if he wasn't a football player, he may have been Alexander or something. Because this guy can lead men. He just sparks something in other men to where they're willing to, you know, just lay it on the line for each other. And that that doesn't come every day. Like I think that's something that, you know, it's inside of you. You know, from maybe from the day that you're born, you have something inside you that allows you to connect with people and, you know, let them believe in you in that way. So for me, yeah, personally, I agree with you. I think that, you know, regardless of their skill levels and their talent, there goes, there's more to it playing that position. And I think the owners know that as well. And that's why that position is paid the way it's paid. Yeah. Like the market value in the league says that this position is the most important to our franchise's success. And so as such, the win-loss record should be attributed to that position more than any other position on the field. I get it that it is a team game and there's more elements than just the quarterback, but there's no other position on the field that affects the game as much as the quarterback. And, you know, when when uh, Tampa Bay got shut out against uh, New Orleans a couple weeks ago, it was like Tom was getting so much shit online because like he smashed the tablet and they're like it's a lot of people that you know the majority of nfl fans for the most part don't like tom brady because it's like he's been doing this for so long they just want him to go away and so it was like oh look at him he's a baby throwing a tantrum yada yada and i'm like he has an unquenchable competitive fire that he's not like afraid to hide from anybody because it made him who he is and so I would much rather play for the guy who's pissed that we're getting shut out than the guy who's going to sit there quietly on the bench when we're losing and not be in our faces about trying to win this game. You know, Tom's barking on the sideline the whole time because he's holding everybody accountable. And like, that's a level of leadership that you can't like coach into somebody. And, you know, he, he deserves credit for it as much as like, I just want him to also retire so that someone else can like win. <laughs> uh, there's a reason that like, he's like, he's fucking 44 years old and he's still doing this. Like he's got 37 touchdowns this year, 11 picks. Uh, you know, the fact that he's doing this at this age, like, do you think Aaron Rodgers like seven years from now is going to be playing at the level that he's playing at right now or maybe even better? Like, I don't think he's in the league seven years from now. No, like um, the style that they play, too. Like, he would have to change styles. He, he wouldn't be able to play like how he plays. Yeah. And so another thing that came up in this conversation was like I was talking to a guy in the Bills media who was saying that, like, he thinks Aaron Rodgers is the greatest of all time. And like, what's the argument against him? And I was saying that. You know, you're he's like he's a build a quarterback. I'm like, yeah, he has all those physical skills. I'm not taking that away from him at all. He's elite for sure. Hall of Famer for sure. But guess what? Drew Brees achieved the same level of success as Aaron Rodgers without any of those physical tools. He did it with his mind and his will and his leadership. And that's how he was able to succeed at that level. He came back from a terrible shoulder injury to win a Super Bowl with a different team after leading the Chargers to be one of the best teams in the AFC. Peyton Manning won Super Bowls with two teams, not having anywhere near like the physical athleticism of Aaron Rodgers. He did it with fucking X's and O's and his pre-snap reads and his just generalship on the field. 
Tom Brady falls into that category of guys that are not as physically skilled as Aaron Rodgers, but also have had equal to or greater career success. Because if you look at a guy like Randall Cunningham or Warren Moon or like Michael Vick, many other physically gifted quarterbacks who have all of the physical tools you could ask for have not succeeded at the level of these other guys who have just like a, a crazy competitive leadership drive that maybe like, you know, you can't scout for. You just, you just have to like accidentally walk into it. And for that one particular guys in Bill's media, like I wanted to ask him, which I didn't get around to asking, I'd be like, what is the thing that we love about Josh Allen? Is it your arm? Is it his, it his arm and his like measurables that you really think makes Josh Allen great? Or is it the fact that he's willing to go sacrifice his body for a first down or a touchdown? Like it's the way he plays the game that what he lays on the line for his teammates that makes that endears Josh Allen to me as a leader, not so much the like, Oh, his arm is great. And all these other things. So I don't know. The, the that, debate will, the debate will never end though. Well, it's, um, it, it's, it's like, a the workforce as well. Like if you, if your boss is good to you, you know, he, you know, he sends you a Christmas card, you know, bakes cookies and, and all that stuff. Like you're going to, you're going to appreciate your boss. You're going to work a little harder for him. If your boss is kind of a smug jerk, are you going to want to and help him with something? Probably not. But you know, if that, that, you know, that boss has been there for you, done extras for you, he asked you for a favor, you'll probably do it. No problem. And that's the kind of rapport Tom Brady has with his guys. Like they know he's the first one that's gonna fall on the sword for, you know, for us to win. So when you know your leader cares that much, like you almost feel obligated. <laughs> you feel guilty if you don't care enough because he cares so much that it's gonna make you stand out. Hundred <laughs> percent. So I, I, just, I think the conversation will just, it'll rage on for eternity, but like to anybody that really like is in Aaron Rodgers corner in this conversation that thinks he's the better quarterback. Uh, my question to them would then be, do you think if you asked Aaron Rodgers, if he could trade all of his individual success for another Super Bowl, if he would do it? And if the answer to that question is yes, then that means Aaron Rodgers even values the Super Bowl win over his own individual accolades, which should then tell you what's really more important is the winning and losing. And I, th I think Aaron Rodgers would. I think if he were to be like, okay, I'm just going to not have like, you know, a great statistical season, but we're going to win the Super Bowl and I get my second one before I retire, I think he would do it. Um, it's it's kind of it reminds me of the the LeBron James, Michael Jordan argument as well. It's like, yeah, LeBron James has done some things that, you know, we, you know, we've never seen before. And he's done it for like a, a long period of time. But at the same time, you have to see, you know, ultimate success, ultimate team success. And, you know, not to take anything away from LeBron, but, you know, Michael Jordan winning those six rings, how he won those six rings in that, in that fashion, and to be undefeated in the finals sends a message to all generations. Now, not to take anything away from LeBron's uh, statistical achievements, but he's, I think, four and, four, and, four and six in the finals. And with a losing record in the finals, 
it, whatever generation you're from, you're not dominating your generation. You're very successful, you know, just like, you know, we're speaking about Rodgers. He's very successful, but he doesn't dominate his generation. Tom Brady, Michael Jordan, those guys were dominant. And, like, you know, the amazing thing with Tom Brady is he's still dominant. And, yeah, 44 years old, it's it's something that goes kind of unmatched. And to be kind of not really arrogant, but to be outspoken about it says a lot about him, too, and his confidence in himself because Aaron Rodgers is incredible. So for him to say these things, you know, outspokenly, you know, Tom Brady is I feel like it's a personal shot at, at Aaron Rodgers because I'm going to attack your psyche. <laughs> hey, all the best, all the best competitors know how to engage in psychological warfare. And, you know, it's something that Floyd Mayweather is very good at. Uh, and like, he made you want to like hurt him so bad that like, you just never like stayed on your fight. And he always, he always beat, he beat everybody as well. 50, you know? So that's just it's it comes with like the the element of like achieving that level of greatness like you know mike did it too like he was out there talking shit all the time i mean mike versus lebron is like a whole other episode we have to do that's going to be another two hours but in, the, in the, that <laughs> the level of confidence though like for Tom Brady at 44 years old to call out all his you know his you know his his fellow uh, peers at the quarterback yeah. position and to directly be talking to Rodgers, it's like when Tom Brady go went into Green Bay to play that that playoff game in Green Bay. Like you didn't, he didn't have any doubt or you didn't have any fear that he might lose that game. But then you watch him play in the regular season, and he's playing against the Saints, and he's struggling. So you're gonna try to tell me that Aaron Rodgers is the best quarterback of all time when Tom Brady walks into a playoff game against that guy, fears nothing but then struggles in the regular season against the Saints. It almost doesn't make sense, but it lets you know, like, Aaron Rodgers is no threat to him. Like, he kind of laughs at him. He'd rather see Aaron Rodgers in the NFC Championship than probably see the Saints defense. <laughs> yeah, probably. And, like, you know, they lost to the Saints twice last year as well in the regular season, but then in the playoff game where it mattered, they beat them basically the entire way. And... uh it was ultimately like an interception that breezed through that iced it, but like they were playing from behind trying to win. Um, so yeah, like I don't think I don't think Brady fears Aaron Rodgers. I mean, Tom Brady won what like let me see, seven of ten Super Bowls appearances, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so like his win percentage in the Super Bowl is really high, and two of those were to that like that's one team that's <laughs> that just showed up there twice as a wild card and happen to have like the right formula. And I mean, if I'm green Bay, like, of course I'm going to just be studying the shit out of like saints film from the last two years and be like, what did these guys do? Well, but Tom Brady is also very good at like, Hey, I know when it's not going to be my day and we're going to get Ronald Jones running downhill. We're going to figure out how to like, you know, make it so that a defense that understands how to like cause me problems, isn't going to be an issue for me. And Tom would much rather lose this game in the season than in the playoffs. But you saw, like, when they lost and they got shut out, like, he's over there telling uh, Dennis Allen to shut the fuck up or whatever he was telling him and barking in his face. Uh, CJ Gardner-Johnson was in Tom's face, didn't get the taunting penalty, and Tom's looking around for the flag. So it's like 
anytime Tom like stumbles a little bit, I think people just like to see it because it's like, oh yeah, we can we can point to something and be like, he's not great. He got shut out. Like uh like Aaron Rodgers never been shut out in his career. And like there therefore Aaron Rodgers is better. And it's like, you know what? Sometimes during the regular season, it's just not your day. And so it is what it is. Tom was still out there the whole time. Like they were within one score of winning that game basically the entire way. So I want to ask you one question about the Tampa Bay's last game. What did you think of the the game and and Antonio Brown being targeted 15 times? Against Carolina? Yeah. I mean, they were just getting him back. So, like, he's he's missed, what, three weeks? He was coming off the ankle injury and the suspension. Uh, I don't have an issue with it. I don't think it's – I don't think they're going to, like, continue that moving forward. I think they just saw a weakness in Carolina's defense that they saw from the, the Bills tape. And they're like, all right, Gilmore is not like the shutdown corner that he was when he was with the Patriots. Uh, And there's a reason that Belichick was able to like let him go for basically nothing to Carolina. So I just I don't think they feared Carolina's defense. They're like, we're going to telegraph what we're going to do. We're going to throw it to the same guy 15 times, get him back in rhythm, because with the injuries to their receiver position, Antonio is going to be big for them down the stretch. So, like, what are you going to do? Bring him in, throw him, like, five passes, get him a touchdown. Like, you, you want to make sure that the ankle's good. You want to make sure that the hands are good. You want to make sure that, like, he is ready to go. And, like, you saw, like, every time every time Antonio caught a first down in that game, he was up and, like, screaming, like, happy to be back. So, I think, I think it was the right decision to, like, get him involved now rather than trying to, like, ease him back into it. Do you, do you see Tampa possibly featuring him with Godwin being out and... Also, too, do you see them maybe leaning more back on the running game? But Leonard Fournette also, too, is injured as long as with uh, Giovanni Bernard. Yeah, I mean, they're going to have to lean on the run game a little bit. But, you know, Ronald Jones was the starting running back before uh, Fournette took the job from him last season, like late in the year. So it's not that Jones isn't capable. He's just more uh, he's more like a LeGarrette Blunt type of guy uh, where he's like big, powerful and he's not quite as shifty he's not as good of, as a receiver as Fournette is out of the backfield but they did bring in Le'Veon to you know probably serve some of that third down role and they have a really good offensive line so like Le'Veon Bell with some time to like be patient and like pick his holes like he had in Pittsburgh is still a very effective player they're gonna have to feature Antonio a little bit more just because of like their personnel issues but like Scotty Miller's back from the IR now uh I think they'll probably see more two and three tight end looks as well because of just the nature of like they're gonna have to run the ball more they might as well feature a lot more like tight end option routes so stack the box heavy get everybody committed and then use the route running ability and the speed of like howard Bray, gronk to really create some problems and then you know send brown on a deep route or send scotty miller behind the defense or something like that so I hope um, I hope Gronk gets back on track. Uh, he was only targeted twice last week. Um, Brady was a little, you could kind of tell he was a little frustrated with him. Um, he didn't play well the week before. A few drops. and But those guys, man, they've been playing together so long. It's like Gronk's going to hit you when you least expect it. Right? Yeah, I also think like he he got hit with like broken ribs and then missed like a week and then maybe two weeks and then like came back and he's been playing with it ever since. So it's like maybe his willingness to go like take a shot over the middle just during the regular season. It's not worth it right now. 
it's like if they can keep winning and they can get into the playoffs like you know playing well enough like they're going to need him down the stretch more than they're going to need him to close out the regular season uh they're well ahead in that division now like because there was a time where they were trailing in the division to the saints but like that was you know week seven week eight so at this point like they're well in control they're they're clinched uh, as the division winners so really all they have to do is like get healthy and get you know get their minds right and get their game sharp going into the playoffs so I, th- I think Gronk in the playoffs will definitely be more of a factor, but I wouldn't be surprised to see like Brate and Howard become a bigger part of the offense as well. Cause Gronk's probably a better blocker than either of those two guys, but they're both like faster than him. So mm-hmm. use some of that speed, you know, go to those double tight end sets, make it look like you're going to play power football. And then like kind of what Seattle used to do, you know, when they just had like a bunch of nobody tight ends and that Marshawn Lynch running game, like come out here in two, three tight end sets, make it look ugly. And then we're going to hit like whoever it was, Zach Miller or uh, the other Wilson or Disley or I don't know. They, they got away from that tight end game in Seattle and it's been killing them ever since. Yeah, it probably is part of the reason why Russell's struggling with success because the tight end is such a security blanket. It's like, oh, throw it to the tight end. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like they can't play out of play action anymore either because their offensive line just hasn't been good enough. So. I don't know. Chris Carson's never been healthy. Penny's starting to look like the guy that they drafted to be like one of the top running backs. Uh, but yeah, they're, they're going to probably like bring a stick of dynamite to that whole organization in the offseason. Well, I think it's going to be it's going to be a roller coaster in these playoffs. Um, teams are going to teams are coming in to wanting to win. Everybody wants a ring. So I think it's going to be really competitive this year because there were so many losses. So the teams, there's a lot of parity. I mean, the, your heavy hitters are still kind of there, but they kind of had their stumbles during the season as well. Yeah, for sure. Like uh, Kansas City was three and four at one point before winning seven in a row. Uh, you know, the Bills have been kind of like back and forth all season. They finally got like their signature win when they needed it to kind of control the division. Then they get Atlanta and the Jets on the way out. Tennessee, despite not having Henry, not having Brown and Jones for the majority of the season, like they still found ways to win. They got to eight and two. And then they just kind of like sat there at eight and two, like accidentally. Like, I don't think anybody believed they were really the best team in the AFC at the time they were eight and two, but it's like they had wins over the Rams at that point, like with no Henry. And I think Julio was out. Uh, Then they fall to like eight and five and win back to back games to get to 10 and five. So it's like they're right there in conversation for the number one seed. If Henry comes back and is even like say 75% of what he was and they get Julio and Brown healthy going into the playoffs, that Tennessee team can be scary. Uh, it's a team that definitely scares me because they've been tested. They've played without yeah. everybody. Like nothing, nothing's going to be new for them. Yeah. And they have wins over the Chiefs, the Bills, the Rams. Like they've beaten good teams. Like, yeah, sure. They lost to the Jets that game where it's like they missed like five or six of their defensive starters. And I think, uh, all their receivers were out in that game too. So it's like, yeah, of course, every team's had that game this season for the most part. Uh, but all the good teams are right where you would basically expect them to be. The only one that really has to get sorted is the uh, the AFC North. Other than that, it's like the Colts are probably in. Uh, the Titans win that division. Chiefs probably going to get that number one seed. So after everything is settled, the Chiefs, here they are, still clinching the division, still probably the number one seed. So like the road, the road to the Super Bowl is going to go through Kansas City again. And uh, they got two teams, at least in the in their bracket 
And if the Chargers get in, that'll be three teams in their bracket that have beat them this season, which is rare for them as well. So, but yeah, Dallas was probably the favorite to win the NFC East. Green Bay, obviously the favorite to win the North. Tampa was the favorite to win the South. And uh, the Rams bounced back. And after that first loss to the Cardinals, they beat them the second time and they took the division from them. So all those teams are basically like the same as they were last year, except for uh, Dallas. But yeah, it was Green Bay. Tampa was the wild card. New Orleans was the division winner. And then uh, Seattle won the division, but the Rams were the number two. So everybody's right where they want to be, I think. Uh, I'm wondering, I need to check on this myself. I need to find out um, if the Indianapolis uh, line, if they're going to be healthy, healthy. Com- and coming into the playoffs, because if their line is healthy, they're a very scary team, too. Yes, they are. But, right now, yeah. right now, it looks like only Braden Smith is listed as out, but they do have uh, Eric Fisher and Ryan Kelly as questionable. So that'd be tough. But yeah, Darius Leonard's out right now, and so is Kari Wills on uh, the back end and the safety group. So, but yeah, their defensive front is good. Uh, they get enough pressure without having to blitz to be effective in terms of like helping the coverage out. And yeah, if they're if their O line is healthy, they have one of the best offensive lines in football. And like we saw what they were capable of against uh, the Bucks, they were they were beating the Bucks. And then it was like, all right, second half, time to like just feature Carson Wentz for some reason. It was like fumble, interception. Oh, here come the Bucks, and they lose. Yeah, it's like if if teams can stick to what they do best, a good running game is something you don't want to mess with in the playoffs. Like because you can't. Sometimes you just can't stop it. And. That's why I fear the Titans and I fear the Colts because if they run on you in the playoffs and you don't have an answer for it, they, you're not going to win because <laughs> playoff games are different. Like the whole, you know, the energy and the aura behind the uh, playoff game is different. Like you're not coming out, going to throw in 350 yards. It's just not going to really happen. It's very rare. And if a team is running on you, it psychologically damages your whole team. It does. And, you know, two of the Bills' losses are to those two teams, and they both ran for a ton on the Bills. And, you know, for the most part, like, I, I do have faith in the Bills' defense. They just need to, like, not overcommit so much on the run. Like, it seems like every game, like, even in the Tampa game, it's like they over-pursue trying to stop the run when they know it's a run. So it seems like something about the defense, like, they're keyed in on the play, right? They know it's going to be a run, but they maybe just, like, over-pursue on one side and then like the cutback lane opens and it's like oh yeah there's nobody there and it's a huge touchdown so they've been gashed by like that big 40 50 60 yarder several times this year uh and they can't play from behind that way because if they get down that way then it's like the fear of that happening again is always there and the other team knows it and the other team just starts like going ground and pound if the bills play with the lead and the other team you know cracks off a big run or something it's like you know whatever we get the ball back and like we still have the possession advantage it's not as like detrimental but yeah when they get behind like colts bucks uh titans all three of those games had that happen so it's something to keep an eye on for sure for them but they are getting star latula back finally so he's been away from the team with personal issues i like the bills defensive line they just they have like so many guys on the d line it's hard for them to like find which group is right for which situation they have like 11 guys on the D-line that they rotate in and out. So that's great in a game where you're playing from ahead and you want pass rushers to be fresh. But in a game where like you're in the trenches and you don't know like which 
front four is going to be best to stop the other team's run. And you're just like constantly churning those guys over. And one of my favorite players on the Bills D line, Justin Zimmer, has been on the IR like for the last like two months. Uh, and he's not one of the guys like you hear his name a lot, but like when you watch his game film, like he's one of those guys where it's like he's just got a crazy motor. He never stops working and he plays better than some of these other dudes that are getting paid way better than him. So him not being there has kind of forced some of the other guys to take on those snaps where he was really effective down the stretch last season. Uh, so we'll see. It's going to be interesting. Bill's got to clean up these easy games against Atlanta and the Jets and uh, just get to 11 and six and play Every, everything they want is still in front of them. So I just, they got to keep that mentality. Okay. Uh, I have one more question. Um, do you think that come playoff time, uh, officiating is going to be a factor? Interestingly enough, since that Bills uh, Bucks game was the national TV game, and there were so many like blown calls late in the game that affected the outcome, and so many people disliked Tom Brady, it was just like that was the game that really like showed the whole league that the way the officiating is going is highly favoring the Bucks winning this game here. So it like it helped fuel the narrative of the NFL like is fixing the league because they want to see Patriots against the Bucks uh in the Super Bowl. And so I think ever since then the officiating has been better, at least in the games that I've watched. Uh it's tough to like keep an eye on all the officiating in all the games and basically in every single game there's going to be a call that goes against like whoever's favorite team and they're going to say it was a bad call, right? Uh, so there's always going to be those calls, but it, I haven't seen the the flag at the end of the game be as detrimental to the outcome of a game since that Bills Bucks game. Uh, let me ask you about that last play of that Cleveland game. Did you feel like there should have been a flag thrown on that um, defended play? Baker ended up throwing that last interception to Douglas. Uh, you remember that? Yes. I do think there probably should have been a flag there, but it's like, I understand like the referee who maybe is watching that play doesn't have the right angle. Like similar to the, in the Bills Bucks game where the guy who's closest to the play doesn't see the hand on the inside of uh, Diggs's collar pulling him down because he sees his, his position has Diggs's back in his face. So he doesn't see that. And then the other backfield judge is watching the interior to see if there's defensive holding along the rest of the like defensive line front. So I think like looking at it in instant replay, he held him or pass interference, whatever you want to call it. Uh, so there probably should have been a flag, but I could also understand that like the referee just doesn't see it on that play because it is like in slow motion, it's pretty obvious, but like in full speed, maybe it's not so obvious. My bigger question is that uh, dating back to that, uh, it was the saints against the rams the year that the rams went to the super bowl the the non-pass interference call that ended up like costing the saints the game that play the following season they instituted uh the ability to challenge pass interference calls and last season i saw the flag thrown a couple of times on pass interference calls but i never saw it get overturned so i don't know if like coaches just don't think that they'll overturn the play or if it was just a one-year experiment where that's no longer a challengeable play because i have seen several instances this year where i'm like you need to challenge that like is that not available like for the challenge anymore 
Um, I'm not certain, but I'm I'm kind of leaning towards yeah. I think they got rid of that because as many games that I follow as followed, I haven't seen I haven't seen a challenge of a of a pass interference call not once. I've seen challenges for other stuff, but not for a pass interference call. Yeah, exactly. So if that's off the table, because it's like if it existed for all of the 2020 season and not a single one of the calls was overturned, then like what's the point of even having the challenge available in the first place other than it's like you want to get the play correct, right? So at the end of the day, if what you're concerned about is the integrity of your product and the officials being correct over the officials defending their position when they blew the whistle then you should allow uh, instant replay to address a call like pass interference. Cause it's like, it's a, it's a spot foul. So like you have to be able to like, cause you can isolate it and be like, yeah, that's the one right there where I want. And you can get enough angles on it. And it's like, maybe if there's not enough evidence, it's like a courtroom. It's like, if the angle isn't there to overturn it, then it isn't. But I think watching that particular play like, yeah, he does get a hand, like, on the bottom of the jersey. There's, like, a clear pull of the jersey as the guy gets into his break. So I think you could definitely call holding there. Um, I don't know if pass interference is the right call, but, you know, it happened in the Bills game, too, where I think Sanders, uh, he got grabbed, like, as he made his cut. So it was, like, probably holding there, but not pass interference. But regardless, they don't throw the flag, so. Yeah, it's almost unfair to have a, a replay for that particular foul. But then I understand the argument for it because, like you said, the pass interference is a, is a spot foul. So it's such a big chunk when it does happen. But I'm not in favor of, you know, of the challenge of picking it up or giving it because at the end of the day, it's still judgment call. You're just passing the judgment to another guy with a camera. So it, it, for me, it's all unstable. I'd rather just trust the guys on the field and their eyes because at least, at least they're working as a group. And if they made an error, more than likely they'll – you know, make up for that error that they made. Yeah. And I will say that like over the last three weeks, I've seen more flags get picked up. Like the flag has been thrown on the field and then the refs have gotten together and picked up the flag and said, there's no foul on the play. So there's been like more discussion. And I think it was because of that bills bucks game. Like they saw it. And like for like the two days after that, everyone was like the NFL's fixed. They just want the bucks and the Patriots in the super bowl. And it was like, that's not a good narrative to have for your product. And so I think the like, they came down like look we have to be better about this we can't let this kind of like situation happen but also i've seen games where you know one referee in particular on the field is calling like uh, like bullshit plays over and over again and so to think that like one guy on the field has a vendetta like we, we've seen it in the nba where like particular referees don't like particular players and they're like they love to give them fouls they love to give them technicals all kinds of things because at the end of the day these refs are humans too and they get chewed out a lot by the players and the coaches. So I'm sure they have their own breaking points for like when they want to throw a flag and how lenient they're willing to be for certain teams in certain situations. Definitely. Oh man. Well, we did like two hours. It's a long show. So you'll have a, a nice, nice uh, chunk to edit. Yeah. I don't really think I need to edit anything. Like there were some like ums and, yeah, uh, like here and there, but it's not bad at all. Uh, I'd rather just not edit it. We didn't say anything like crazy. No, no, we're good. Was, um, I actually like it was like a review for me because I I'm always on to the next sport, the next you know game or whatever. So 
what we spoke about, a lot of that stuff is like was in my memory banks. I didn't even realize it until you when you started to mention it because it's like, oh yeah, I lost money on that one. <laughs> 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 like I'm, I'm like remembering all my hits. I'm like, oh yeah, I remember that. You know, yeah. the, the Titans lost to the Jets. Oh, I remember that crap. <laughs> I know it's like I'm sitting here like looking at like some of the records and it's like at least I have the internet to my advantage and but I'm my own research assistant so it does take a little extra time and we can like hear the clicking in the background but whatever it's it's modern technology everybody knows I'm using a computer regardless. Not cool I, I enjoyed it it was cool it was basically just a casual conversation we have normally. Yeah exactly that's you know that's what I'm aiming to do uh, like I, uh, there was one I did with the. Uh, the Kenyan filmmaker uh, Jacob that I brought him in and we did it and it's like we had never met we had never like spoken face to face on like zoom or anything before and it just you know it was very natural like there's some getting to know you stuff with uh, some of the people that I haven't talked to before but uh, yeah like Rob's come on the show it's been easy uh, you know Kristen's done the show it's been easy so is, uh, is Wenger still doing his podcast? No he hasn't been doing it he's come on the show a couple times uh, and I've invited him on a few times where he just hasn't been able to do it because he was like oh i want to do like the the pick em show with you where you guys go through all the games and do the picks and i'm like all right well we do it saturday morning so just wake up and he never wakes up on time so because it's like we'll, we'll typically we'll go to starbucks we'll get our coffee and then we'll come in here and we'll go through the games but like at that point in the week i was like i haven't done any like deep research at all i haven't like studied the injury reports anything so it's like i don't know what i'm talking about on saturday morning but sometimes I'm pretty accurate. This last week, I was like, those first like four or five games, I got them all right, like with the spread and everything. So it's nice to have those moments. But then sometimes I am like, all right, let me look at the depth chart. And like, I see the Colts, like Carson Wentz is out. Braden Smith is out. Uh, Jack Doyle's questionable. Pascal's out. So they got a lot of guys out heading into this next game. So I'll keep that in mind for the Colts. Like, you know, they're still, they're still pretty good, but like you're missing your, your offensive uh, leader in the quarterback position with, He's, he's on his 10-day COVID suspension. Darius Leonard's out, so it's like you're missing the quarterback on your defense, too. You're missing potentially up to three offensive linemen, which is not great. Uh, and you're pretty thin at receiver, too, outside of Pittman and Hilton. So, Jesus Christ, they- turn, turn around and give that ball to Jonathan Taylor 50 times. Who are they playing? Uh, I will tell you in one second. The Colts are playing the Raiders. Okay. So they they need that game, but so do the like, Raiders. I don't know well, because they have all those injuries, man. Oh man, that Carson Wentz thing, man, dude. What are you doing? <laughs> oh, it's the wrong time to get caught up. Dang. I know he he made it this far during the season, but what that means is that he's not vaccinated because he's on like the ten day suspension list. Mm-hmm. Uh. So fortunately, they have the kind of system where if their offensive line is healthy and their defense plays well, they don't necessarily need Carson Wentz to like start to beat the Raiders. But if Waller is coming back and the Raiders need to win too, the Ra- the Raiders could beat them, but the Colts defense is pretty solid. And if they held Arizona to 16 points, you would think that, you know, they can mostly keep the Raiders bottled up. You would think. Who is the Colts backup? uh is it still jacob eason let me see it is nope sam ellinger they only have two quarterbacks and this guy is a rookie from texas never never thrown an nfl pass to this point so that's gonna be rough because what's the name is gonna purpose 
try to put up numbers just to put the pressure on a quarterback for the Raiders. Um, yeah, Carr. Sorry, yeah, because, I mean, you're going against a rookie, you definitely want to lean on him. And, <laughs> I mean, yeah, they're going to want to run the ball, but you're going to have to throw it sometime. Yeah, the Raiders' defense isn't bad either, so... It's like, and the Colts, like, if they lose this game and they go to nine and seven, there's still a lot of teams that necessarily might not jump them. So, this is a game where, you know, they can't, like, they don't want to lose, but they could maybe afford to lose it and then get Wentz back next week and win and still get into the playoffs. It's like they're not winning the division. They're going to be a wild card team no matter what. Uh, so, we'll see. I uh, I got to see the story on what happened to Rugs. I, I didn't really know what happened. And... Mm-hmm. That shit was disappointing. Man. Yeah. And he was going really fast. 156? Damn. <laughs> yeah. And it was sad because they were like telling the story while showing his Alabama highlights. And I'm just like, so they're like making like a narrative between the speed that he had on the field and the speed of the car. It's like, damn. Fuck. One decision. Fuck. Yeah, that's a, that's a weird... Uh plot point to put into your story about it it's like he was really fast on the field but he was even faster in his murder vehicle like nah like that's that's in poor taste and uh, i saw a little tape on the the other alabama receiver Oof, man he's good what's his name um for miami um, waddle yeah Oof. yeah he's good <laughs> that little dude is fast man yeah he he became their best receiver just this season alone. I mean, like Parker hasn't been able to stay on the field. They actually have a pretty solid receiving core when they're all healthy, but he's been the only guy that's been able to stay healthy all year. I think he's he's probably, yeah, well, he's not uh, ahead of Jamar Chase because Jamar Chase has just had a monster season. But, uh, but Waddle is solid. He's not going to win Rookie of the Year, but he deserves to be in the conversation. I like the second receiver over at uh, Cleveland, too. Uh, Higgins, man, that guy's yeah. a baller. Yeah, he's a baller. <laughs> I just like the way he plays. He's just, like, so aggressive and fearless. Yeah, I mean, they need something. They need a nice compliment to Landry, and they need to run more two tight end sets, too. Like, with all the yeah. – they got Harrison Bryan over there <laughs> and uh, Njoku. They got they got to do that. And Hooper. Yeah. But it's like, I don't know, they, they – play for i don't know to feature baker at times i don't know why they do that but yeah. i think because those running backs are so good it's just like we got to kind of give the crowd what they want i mean does the crowd really want to see chubb and and um say cream hunt you know just running the ball every play if i were a cleveland fan i'd be like yes yeah <laughs> get to Ernest johnson in here too we're gonna we're not throwing the ball at all <laughs> And like you guys, that could be your trademark. Like you can make that like your, you know, like how you guys are. This is team, what you guys are about, and just be mean with that. Yeah, they're they're built like that uh, Seattle team where it was like defense, running game, tight ends. So I don't know where Daryl Bevel is. He's coaching somewhere, Uh, but he would be the kind of like offensive guy you'd want to get in there to kind of like open up some of those opportunities for them. They, they, like, kind of outthink themselves. Yeah, I mean, they, like, they are still mostly a, a fairly young team. And, you know, this was a Browns team that was, what, like, 0-16 just, like, a few years ago. Like, they were 1-15 not that long ago. So it's like you're, you're shifting the culture from, like, okay, we're going to be 
above 500 to like oh wow that year that we were going to be above 500 we actually got to 10 wins and won a playoff game we were surprisingly good and now it's like oh crap we actually have to like live up to that which isn't easy because like how do you get more than 10 wins like in the nfl it's not even easy for the best teams in the league so they, i think the bar was just maybe like set a little high and they probably should have been like nine and seven or eight and eight last year but you know they got to 10 and six and now they're not going to get to 10 wins this year but it's possible i think no they're seven and eight so they can be nine and eight but that's probably about where they really are but they don't realize like at times they like fall <laughs> into things and realize like oh we could have just did it like this and it would have been easy so like for example just the screen game it's like oh wow chuck just took a screen 80 yards like duh like <laughs> yeah. like they don't realize how easy things could be with the, the talent they have but they don't need to do all the crazy stuff that they do yeah i mean stefanski again is a young coach as well too he's one of these guys is what in his like second or third year so he's he's got the learning curve as well of like how do we not just make the team good but keep the team good and keep getting better you have two of the best running backs in the league three of the best tight ends in the league and one of the best solid possession receivers in the league like how are you not successful and your line is awesome yeah they do have a great offensive line and they just need to they need to just figure it out like you know they thought they needed obj they thought they needed that like second real receiver threat and it's like you know they needed more like a like a kendrick Bourne and jacoby myers type like just some guys that like just catch the ball and like you know do your job it's a solid like he yeah. makes the i even kind of like nope clayton has left the meeting Oh, we had technical difficulties. I don't know if I can get it back. Bear with me while we tackle our technical difficulties. All right. Well, it's a two-hour show regardless. Uh, it looks like the internet connection went down. So, all righty then. We'll uh, we'll just call it a show. You got plenty of uh, content to listen to there. Yeah, thanks for hanging out for two hours. It was easy peasy up until it wasn't. But until next time, thanks for listening. And uh, I hope you'll join us again. Take care. Thanks to everyone who took the time to listen to the episode. If you enjoyed it, please help me out by liking, subscribing, sharing, wherever you get your podcasts. The show is an extension of thescheiss.com. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, you can contact me at info at And until next time, be well, stay safe, and go Bills! Bills!